Good morning, everybody. Let me take my mask off. That will help. I just want to welcome everyone, and I'm just going to tear this off because I am all tangled up. (laughs) There we go. It's great to see everybody. And as many of you have said to me, you do exist. You are real. You're not just like an avatar on a video screen. Welcome to church. Isn't it great to be together? It's great to meet so many of you. And I want to thank Victor for leading us in worship. And I just want to say a word of appreciation to Neil and to the leadership team uh, for putting together such a thoughtful and biblical response to what's going on in our world. Um, And in a moment when we pray, we need to pray for um, the churches, especially that we would have a strong gospel witness during uh, these times. Um, I just want to thank you all because I know that since the last time you got together, things are very different. Um, the world is very different, but you guys have responded to all of these changes with a lot of patience and with a lot of flexibility. And so I want to say, I know on behalf of the leadership of the church, thank you. And I just want to add a personal word of appreciation because you have been so welcoming to me and to my family And I just want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you very much, especially Mark has been helping me on a weekly basis. Thanks to everybody for uh, for just your um, yeah, you're just your kindness in welcoming me um, into your family. So, well, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles. You know where we're going to the book of Philippians. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And I'm going to get my watch going here so I know what time it is. And I'm going to put my phone away. Whoever put together that app on the phone, that is very helpful. Thank you very much. And I'm going to put this mic over here. There we go. Get situated. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. And... The title of the message is A Mature Mindset. And so as we read this passage of scripture, it's very important to me that I want you to track what is being said with what God's word says, because what ultimately matters this morning is not what Adam has to say. It's what God's word has to say. And so as we read this morning, I'd like you to be thinking about what Paul is painting in terms of a picture of a mature mindset. That's the title of the sermon, A Mature Mindset. So let me read and then I'll pray and then we will uh, begin the message. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we are, we are reminded that your word is 
a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Father, your, your word is settled in the heavens in a world that is constantly changing. Your word is not. And God, your word doesn't change because you do not change. And so our savior teaches us to build our lives upon the rock. That is your character and your word and your promises and all of these things have been revealed in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we want to exalt Christ. We want to set our hearts on Christ. We've all come this morning with various discouragements. And we want the light of Christ to shine brightly in our hearts so that we might shine brightly in the world. God, would you strengthen us? And we pray this morning for the churches in the Los Angeles area, that you would enable them to love well and to speak the truth of the gospel to a world that needs hope. And there is no hope beyond the hope of the resurrection and the hope of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. We pray that you would draw our hearts to him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want to begin by pointing an illustration that comes from the beginning of World War II. In the beginning of World War II, you might recall Britain is sort of facing the Nazi threat alone. They're facing a war they don't want to fight. Everybody's already remembering the horrors of World War I, and here's a new world war. And the leaders of the country know that there's not much of an appetite for war in the country And so they develop a slogan that you know and you've heard of. You've seen it on posters. Keep calm and carry on. And this became a poster that was highly publicized throughout the war. And in our own day and age, people have changed it to fit our own purposes. I've seen keep calm and wear a mask. I've seen keep calm and social distance. But keep calm and carry on. Well, what I want to suggest is that the message of our passage is actually very similar. It's not keep calm and carry on. It's keep calm and press on. That's really what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi. Now, the part about keeping calm, the part about God's peace, we'll get to later on in the book of Philippians. Later on in the book of Philippians, Paul says that there is a peace which surpasses understanding and which guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you might remember from the introduction that Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Philippi who face regular opposition and oppression and persecution for their faith. Philippi was not an easy place to be a Christian. And so to these believers in a difficult time and a difficult place, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts and guard your minds. That happens in Christ Jesus. And it is a peace that defies all natural understanding. And we want that peace because we too live in difficult times. But in our passage, Paul is keying in on this idea of what it means to be a mature believer. I wonder for a moment, what do you think of when you think of Christian maturity? 
you know people you would describe as mature, and I know people that I would describe as mature Christians. But what comes to mind? Because notice what Paul says in verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So Paul is challenging them to Christian maturity. And notice he says that Christian maturity is a mindset. That part of being a Christian maturity is not letting your mind not letting your mind be shaped by culture or popular opinion or pragmatism or worldly philosophy or entertainment, but letting your mind, letting your thinking, letting your pattern of thought be shaped by Christ and by his word. That is what it means to be a mature believer. And everything else that Paul has to say flows out of a godly biblical mindset in the life of a believer. And that is my desire for CIV, that we would be a people that are marked by maturity, believers who guard their minds in Christ. So what I want to do in the course of this message, a mature mindset, is I want to look at five things that sort of describe this kind of mature mindset. What does it mean to have godly maturity in the area of your thinking and in the area of your mindset. So I hope you've found that place that we talked about on the on the, the app where there are the sermon notes. Hopefully you're able to follow along, but if not, I'll explain where I'm going. So first of all, you'll notice from the passage that being a mature Christian, being a mature individual who guards their minds takes effort. That's the first thing. It takes effort. Notice that Paul uses this phrase, I press on in verse 12. And he says in verse 14, I press on. And notice in verse 13, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. That word, that Greek word, straining forward is only used one time in the Bible. And it is here in Philippians 3:13 and obviously that phrase straining forward pressing on indicates effort and reach and kind of will and volition and what paul is saying is that if you want to be a mature believer you have to put effort into guarding your mind in Christ Jesus the other day my daughter was going for a gallon of milk in the refrigerator. And my youngest daughter is not quite tall enough to get to the top shelf of the refrigerator. And so I look over and she is just on her tippy toes, just reaching out with every fiber of her body to try to grab the gallon of milk. And I thought to myself, that's the picture. The picture is of Christians who are straining in their effort to grab hold of the truth of God's word so that it would guard their mind and guard their thinking and enable them to be mature in the midst of an environment that makes it often difficult to be a Christian. You know this and I know this. Everything that is worthwhile in life takes effort and it takes discipline Why is it that sometimes we as Christians think that it's any different in regards to maturity in the faith? 
If you know anyone who is mature in the faith, they have given thought and intention and discipline and effort to their walk with Christ. Why? Because it's biblical. Press on, strain forward, press on. Paul says maturity takes effort. That's the first thing this passage clearly teaches. So I want to ask you a question. Is Christ getting the best of your effort? Is your relationship with Christ getting energy and intentionality and effort? If someone watched you live your life, would they tell by your schedule, by the way you prioritize your time and your energies that you are putting effort into growing in your relationship with Christ? Are you giving the best of your effort to our Lord and Savior? The second thing I want us to notice is that this business of Christian maturity is filled with grace. So if the idea of effort and energy and straining and pressing sort of makes you think, well, that sounds really works oriented. Let me remind you in this passage is also a beautiful reminder that all of it from beginning to end is by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul says, Christ has made me his own. Christ has made me his own. Paul is saying, strain forward, lean into, press on in your relationship with Christ because he made you his own. Brothers and sisters, don't forget, he called you into his kingdom. Paul says in Philippians 1, he adopted you into his family. And that adoption is never, ever revoked. Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. So all of your effort is based on grace. All of your growth is owed to grace. Every time you're able to take a thought captive like Neil so wonderfully reminded me of, that is due to the grace of God. Does it take effort? Yes. But you owe that effort and that energy to God's grace in your life. And so here we see this beautiful synergy of God's sovereignty and our responsibility working together to accomplish God's will. And what is God's will? It is that you mature and I mature. It takes effort, but it is filled with grace. And so when Paul talks about the peace of God that's not dependent on your circumstances, but defies human explanation, that peace is grounded in the fact that God will finish his work in you. And whatever else is going on in your life, However you've stumbled, take hope and take joy in that fact. God is not done with you. He will not abandon you. Maturity is by grace. Number three, Christian maturity requires humility. Let me just say how much I appreciated the humility that was so evident in that statement that Neil read this morning. And that's a perfect illustration of maturity Mature brothers and sisters in the faith are humble brothers and sisters. We see this in the Apostle Paul when he says, not that I have already obtained this or been made perfect. 
We saw last week that Paul describes his desire in verse, in chapter 3, verse 10, or in verse 11. He says that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I live my life with the hope that one day I will die and I will be resurrected into an eternal glorified life with Christ Jesus. And in that life, I will no longer struggle with sin. But Paul says, I'm not there yet. And if the apostle Paul can say, I'm not there yet, you should be able to say, amen. I'm not there yet either. And so Christian maturity rejects arrogance and it rejects pride. And all of us who have been saved can celebrate what God has done in our lives. And we can agree that we're not yet made perfect. So what does this mean practically? How do you practice Christian maturity in regards to humility? Well, let me make this suggestion. Be quick to confess. Be quick to repent. When someone points out an area where you've sinned, don't wait to perfectly understand or agree before offering forgiveness and saying, listen, I'm not even aware of what I've done yet, but please forgive me for sinning against you. I love that point about the whistle. When someone blows the whistle, be quick to confess, quick to repent, quick to recognize that there will be faults and offenses and sins that I won't fully understand until I am resurrected and made like Christ and have a perfect perspective or a sinless perspective. Maturity requires humility. Number four, Christian maturity requires, let me say, it requires that we be forward looking. This passage teaches that. Christians who are mature are not living in the past or living in a fantasy future or in some alternate reality. Christians are living in the light of the present. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. It has problems of its own. Live today. And there is so much anxiety wrapped up in living in the future that's not yet here or so much depression in being stuck in the past. And Paul says, no, verse 13, forgetting what is behind and looking ahead. You see that forgetting what is behind the verb tense here indicates that you cannot be a mature Christian if you are stuck in the past or if you are just trying to live the life you hope to live five years from now. Paul says we are looking forward in faith and we are putting into practice today the disciplines of the faith. Well, what does Paul mean by forgetting what is behind? I mean, is he talking about spiritual amnesia? Sort of collective, collective uh, forgetfulness? I don't think so. I think Paul is talking about the fact that our actions today are not determined by our past. Your actions today do not need to be determined by your past. You live in a world that is lying to people that says your actions today are determined by your past. And Paul says, by God's grace, they are not. 
God is grace. God is giving you all the grace you need through his word and by his spirit and in community with other brothers and sisters to live faithfully and maturely for Christ now. God's spirit within us allows us and empowers us to grow and to mature and to change. There is no hope in being stuck in the past, but there is all the hope in the world by knowing that by God's grace, you can be the man or the woman he's calling you to be by the power of his spirit as you guard your heart and your mind. Another passage that sort of teaches this is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where the author of Hebrews sort of makes an analogy to the faith and a a, a long distance sort of run. And the author of Hebrews says that we are to run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, looking forward to Jesus. I've seen a lot of people run a lot of races and they tend to look forward in the direction of the finish line. And the Bible is saying the same thing. As you walk with Christ, look forward, look to the finish line, look to Christ, look to the resurrection, look to the kingdom. And that's how you remain faithful. That's how you endure the endurance run of the faith, looking to Jesus, not to what other people are doing, not to what you used to do, not allowing your past to condemn you or define you but looking forward to Christ and finding in him all the grace and all the hope that you need to be who he's calling you to be. That is the mindset of the mature, forward looking. We are realistic about our sin and our fallenness. That gives us humility, but we are optimistic because the future for us in Christ is eternally bright. Number five. The mindset of the mature is goal oriented. Now, I have I have the impression I'm in a a gathering of goal oriented individuals. That's just the impression I get. I get the impression that if I were to go around and ask you, what are your goals? I think you would probably all have answers. But if I were to ask you, what are your spiritual goals? That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about spiritual goals. He's talking about goals that you set for yourself so that you grow because growth and maturity doesn't happen accidentally. It happens as a result of intention and effort and humility and grace and forward thinking belief. Notice what it says in verse 14. This is where this point comes from. Verse 14 says, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is the prize in the mind of a mature Christian. The goal in the mind of a mature Christian is the day where they see Christ and they meet Christ and they're with Christ. And that leads you through the darkest of times. And it enables you to go on when you feel like giving up. Because you are focused on the fact that history is moving somewhere. Life is not random. It's not an accident. We're not nihilist. We believe that there is purpose. 
John in Revelation 5 says there's a scroll and Jesus has the scroll and he's read the scroll and he knows where the events of your life are leading and they are pointing in the direction of a day of union with Jesus. And that day shines light on every other day of your life. And so a mature believer is goal-oriented. And the goal, the ultimate goal of a mature believer is living faithfully in preparation of that day. The illustration that comes to mind as I think about this is the preparations I remember making 20 years ago when I got married. 20 years. I know you're thinking, no way that guy's been married 20 years. Thank you. Very kind of you. But I remember all the preparations, the buying my suit and, you know, the purchase of my wife's dress. And uh, we didn't buy a cake. I think we had cheesecake from like Costco or whatever it was. But look, we made preparations and we lived in anticipation and hope. And we looked forward to that day. And Paul is saying there is a day coming that your life, your entire life is a preparation for that day. There's a song by the Christian band. I guess they're Christian, but I don't know, Switchfoot. And one of the songs that they sing talks about the fact that my entire life has been an education in learning how to die. Life is a preparation for your day of union. Your entrance into eternity on the day you will meet Christ face to face. Live with the goal of that day. He is the prize. That is the finish line. That's when the strain and the struggle and the trials will be over. And the world wants to supplant that goal and give us other goals. And look, I understand that in your life, you have lots of goals. You are an ambitious people, an educated people. But in the midst of all those other goals, have one ultimate overarching super goal of living your life in daily intentional preparation for the day when you will stand before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the prize. And so don't miss the point of the passage. We are called to grow. We are called to celebrate what Christ has done and out of our confidence in his salvation, out of our confidence in the cross and the empty tomb where Christ became a substitute for our sin and where he came out of the tomb on the third day and defeated death out of celebration in that real historical fact. We are to grow and Christian maturity is defined and it's defined as taking effort and requiring grace and requiring humility, and looking forward, and being goal-oriented. And this, brothers and sisters, is how we, as Christians living in difficult times, and in difficult places, this, this is how we are able to keep calm and press on. Let's pray. Father, your word is good, and I pray that you would bring clarity in our hearts about how we need to respond. Lord, please, please keep us from being hearers only and not doers. Father, put our faith into practice, in love, in service, in humility, in repentance. 
Lord, if I've said anything that's not true, I pray it would be forgotten quickly. But what has been said that is true according to your word, would it take root and bear fruit? And I commit my brothers and sisters to you and pray that you would do a good work of grace in their lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.